Director Mueller, the president has repeatedly claimed that your report found there was no obstruction and that it completely and totally exonerated him. But that is not what your report said, is it? Correct. It is not what the report said. And now reading from page two of volume two of your report that's on the screen, you wrote, quote, if we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state. Based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, however, we are unable to reach that judgment, close quote. Now, does that say there was no obstruction? No. In fact, you were actually unable to conclude the president did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? Well, we, uh, uh, at the outset, uh, determined that we, uh, when it came to the, uh, the, the president's culpability, uh, we needed to uh, we needed we needed to go forward only after taking into account the OLC opinion that indicated that a president a sitting president cannot be uh, indicted. So the report did not conclude that he did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? That is correct. And what about total exoneration? Did you actually totally exonerate the president? No. That was House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler questioning special counsel Robert Mueller during what was billed as a make-or-break moment for the investigations into President Trump. For weeks, Democrats had hyped it as the testimony that would give life to Mueller's damning report on the president's conduct and open the door to a full-blown impeachment inquiry. But the reviews of Mueller's performance before House Judiciary and then later the House Intelligence Committee have been merciless. He stumbled. He seemed confused at times. He gave stilted, brief answers, constantly imploring his inquisitors to just consult the wording of his report. What to make of Mueller's appearance and what impact will it have, if any, on the quest to impeach Trump and remove him from office? We'll discuss on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So the moment has come and gone, the long-awaited testimony of Bob Mueller. And we have to talk about it today, two of our favorite skullduggery guests, Bianca Goldudriga and Matt Miller. So guys and gal, what do we make of Mueller's testimony? Well, you know, the Democrats kept saying before the hearing that the movie is going to be better than the book. Yeah. Well, the book was better than the movie. And the problem for Democrats is they needed a good movie. They needed this to be told as a story. We are all wired for stories and narratives. And Bob Mueller is not a great storyteller. And as a lot of people have already said, his testimony was halting and um, uninspired. It got, uh, yeah. um, it, and... It, it got better over time, but he didn't make a great first impression. 
And, you know, I mean, we're getting get into all the specifics, but the question is, it certainly didn't move the needle, I don't think, in terms of where the Democrats want to go with this. You know, the question is whether it's set back Democrats, um, and that's something we can talk about. But look, you also have a perfect example of somebody who did not want to be there being the person he said he was going to be when he comes, right? We got that warning back in May in his nine-minute speech where he said that the Mueller report is his report, that's his statement, and that's where he wants to leave it and that he would prefer not to testify. I don't know why the expectations were set as high as they were, but aside from what people thought that the movie version was going to look like, don't forget in the interim we've had actors in Hollywood recreate the report as well, and I think that Given what Mueller said he was going to do, he did. And say what you will about Comey, he's a better speaker than Mueller was. And so for Democrats hoping that they were going to get that aha bombshell, it didn't happen. That having been said, there was a lot there. No? Yeah. No, look, I agree. Look, I I think two things can be true. Number one, the things that Mueller said under Democratic question yesterday about the president were incredibly damning. They weren't anything new from the report, but the report was incredibly damning. And in my opinion, those things ought to be damning enough to warrant the president's not just impeachment, but removal from office. I thought that was true after the report was released. At the same time, I think you can say that I think it's also true that Mueller did not present a compelling case because, in my opinion, a combination of two reasons. Number one, he is not the same commanding witness that he used to be. And, and I don't just mean reluctant, but he doesn't, didn't have the same command of the facts that he used to have when he would testify before Congress. And number two, he seemed very constrained in what he was willing to talk about, both probably because of personal constraints, things he didn't want to talk about because of the constraints that the department would said he couldn't talk about and then whatever else. But I think the combination of things meant that the movie wasn't as good yeah. maybe as, Look, as people I, had hoped. I, and and I do think people's expectations were out of whack I, with, I with think, reality. I think a lot of people who have watched Bob Mueller over the years were shocked at his performance, at just how he seemed confused at times. He <clears> seemed <throat> uncertain about what was in his own report. He misspoke about some really key details in his report. He had to correct one of the few lines, and we'll play it in a moment, where he actually seemed to make some news. He had to walk it back and correct it. And I think the takeaway for a lot of people was, regardless of the substance, you know, real questions about how much Mueller was in command of not just his testimony, but raising questions about the investigation itself. Now, Matt, you were the public affairs chief for the Justice Department under Eric Holder while Mueller was FBI director. You were in meetings with Mueller. You've watched him over the years. How much of a contrast was the testimony on Wednesday from what you have uh, yeah. observed in the past? This is, I mean, this is hard to talk about. It's painful and it's, it's delicate. He's just not the same man that he was when I worked with him at the department. I last worked with him in, in 2011. But, you know, other people I know who've worked with him more recently than that, as recently as a few years ago, yeah. so he's not the same person that he was then. The thing about him, and there, there are a lot of things about Bob Mueller, but one thing that was a, a hallmark of his leadership at the Bureau was his master of the minutia of details. He got down into the weeds on cases and sometimes would know cases better than the agents who were talking to him about their own investigations. And it was clear 
that wasn't the case yesterday. There were yesterday. very basic facts that he didn't that, recall from the report. I mean, Fusion GPS, he didn't seem to know what Fusion GPS actually was. Um, at one point, he couldn't remember the word conspiracy when there was a conversation of conspiracy versus collusion. He couldn't remember who first nominated him for the Justice yeah, Department. It, it, it's, painful for, it's painful for me because just setting aside the investigation and whatever ought, ought to happen to Donald Trump, Bob Mueller is an American hero. He was exactly. a war hero. He had a great career. I would and he like didn't to have think, to do this. Yes, I would like to think he'll be remembered for that, but he is yeah. going to get savaged you, for this performance yesterday, and I have, I'm afraid this is going to be a, a painful you know what I, uh, I, end to, his, to what, what has really been a, a career of a, a well, great Well, I think we should, and we should talk about his legacy uh, in, in a minute. But what I kept thinking as I was watching this was this, this guy is in a lot of ways the personification of the kind of values and sort of civic virtues that we uh, hold dear and, and, you know, at least aspirationally believe, you know, are true. I mean, you know, uh, country over party, uh, public service, um, respect for institutions um, and, and the rule of law. And I kept thinking that those values today are as frail as Bob Mueller was up there testifying. He's the complete anti-Trump, right? And say what you will about this president, and we all have said many things about this president. Given that they're only a couple of years apart, you really do see a difference in their energy levels, right? And, and I think their styles as well. I don't know Bob Mueller as well as you do, but he did not strike me as a bulldog yesterday, yeah. and he didn't fight back. Of course, when Trump senses that someone doesn't fight back, he smells blood, and that's what we saw from him following the test testimony yesterday where he was sort of praising um, his standing and saying that Bob Mueller did a terrible job. I do wonder how this would have played out if this had happened four months ago, like right after the release of the report, because four and a half months is a significant amount of time to pass. I don't know that he's read the report many times since then, but I also wonder what a setback Bill Barr had uh, on any Thing that we heard yesterday because yeah. although he notably out- Mueller did not take any shots at Barr, he ducked all questions about whether Barr had misled people about the contents of the report and his exchange with Barr after he released that first letter. But, um, but look, it was seven hours, and I think, notwithstanding perhaps a couple of congressmen, you really would have had a damning day just if you had gone through Nadler and Schiff and their two exchanges with him, that was quite something. Yeah, it was interesting. And, yeah. and had we not had all of the stellar reporting that, that you have also participated in over the past two years, if we had just heard that yesterday for the first time, it would have been game over. Mm-hmm. We are at just such a numb place in this country right now where the bar is so low that if the president just stays above the fray legally, then it's a victory. Well, this is the problem with, you know, I think congressional hearings now and just the kind of whole sort of news climate, which is that you always need new things. You know, you need revelations. You need something that will drive the narrative. If and you're actually put on a major hearing, you want to have yeah. news. And so, you want to have something that's yeah. going to push the story forward. Right. And there I, you really know, wasn't any moment um, I think, let, where let, Mueller was able <laughs> to do that. We should get into the specifics of some, you know, some of these particular moments. But, but just before that, I just wanted to say one thing I don't understand about the Democrat strategy is now I know they've had a hard time actually getting any fact witnesses up there, right? And the Trump administration has been asserting uh, all these privileges and it's in litigation. They're going to take McGahn to, me, to court, by the way. And they're taking McGahn to court, week. and yeah. we'll see what happens Finally. with that. But it seems to me there must have been a way to get some witnesses up there who could actually 
tell the story. They tried with John Dean. That was kind of pathetic. Before they get to Mueller, and there are people. I mean, what Chris about Chris Christie, Lauren Lewandowski? Lewandowski, you know, hell, I mean, you know, put Amarosa up there. Yeah. I don't know. But, like, have people up there who are not constrained. By the way, um, on, who they can assert privilege Mike, over. Mike, Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn, uh, well, uh, Donald Trump, Don Trump Jr. Uh, uh, he doesn't yeah. work for the White it's House. He doesn't work for, right. for the White Mike House. Mike Flynn and Donald Trump Jr. both don't have any any reason to resist testifying. What about Lewandowski? Yeah, I mean, same thing. Exactly. Same thing. Can't yeah, invoke same executive right. privilege on he can take Lewandowski. He can take the fifth if he wants. Which but. is what Don Jr. probably would have done. Yeah. That would have helped the Democrats. But that'd be fine. Don Jr. <laughs> no. sitting in front of a microphone yeah. in front of cameras, not taking the fifth is an okay outcome. Look, yeah. and 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 they, you know they've blown it at so many uh, uh, junctures. I mean, why was Hope Hicks behind closed doors before judiciary? Why was Felix Sater behind closed doors before House Intel? This is the Democrats who supposedly were going to be transparent about things, who were trying to build a public case, and yet they still accept closed door hearings. I mean. As I've said before, I mean, Sam Irvin would be turning over in his grave watching well, this. Well, if I could go back to yesterday, one thing I didn't understand, and, and when we got the schedule of the day, I was quite puzzled by as well, why they didn't start with the Intelligence Committee in the morning first, given that was volume one of the report. This was all about Russian interference. This was clearly the area where Mueller was more interested and more engaged. Um, and even and in the nine minute, you right. know, and it's also the beginning. Got, of, it's where the story begins. Right. So if and you're if you're telling, you're telling a, story, a story, start at the beginning. Right, right. It's where you saw him get the most animated and heated. And I think on message and on point yesterday. And perhaps he was a little nervous going into the morning. One can't blame him for that, given what he was coming into. But had they started there, I do wonder if the day would have ended differently. Let's talk about some of the substance. The exchange with Nadler that started out in which he got... Yeah, we can do kind of the right. high moments for the in, Democrats in and which the low Nadler moments. Nadler gets Mueller to say what was said in the report, that he did not, if they could exonerate the president, they would have. They, could, they were unable to do so. And Republican Congressman Radcliffe immediately went in on the question of whether that's an appropriate thing for any prosecutor to say, because that's not the job of a prosecutor. Either you bring criminal charges or you don't. He Your came job in with props is not too. to exonerate. Now, Matt, you're a uh, stickler for Justice Department rules. You certainly were when Comey went off about Hillary Clinton's conduct, even though she was not going to be charged with a crime. Does Radcliffe have a point? With respect to every one of the 320 million people living in this country, except for one, and that's the president. And the reason and why the president is that? Is why is the president because uh, the, the different for, from a prosecutorial point of view? Because he's not just an uncharged party. He's an unchargeable party from the Department of Justice's point of view. Right. And he's un an unchargeable party because DOJ has said through this OLC opinion, that's gotten a lot of opinion, that he can't be indicted, partly because the place to police presidential misconduct is in Congress. Congress cannot police presidential misconduct if at the end of a Department of Justice investigation, they don't have the information but about Robert what the president Mueller did. Robert Mueller is not a member of Congress, and it wasn't. And so why was it his job to declare whether or not the president had been exonerated? Because at the end of his investigation, it was important for him to tell Congress what he'd found. I actually think he should have gone further than what he did and not just said, I can't exonerate the president. I think he should have said 
what he believed he found, which is that the president committed a crime of obstruction of justice. Look, in any other instance, this is right. DOJ has this rule, indict or shut up. But if you can't indict, shut up doesn't apply, I don't think, for the president of the United States. But the regulations regulations that created his office and under which he was appointed charged him to be a special prosecutor, not a fact gatherer for the Congress of the United States. That was his job. And his sole assignment after doing that was to write a confidential report to the attorney general. So there's nothing in that that says you are to tell us what you found so Congress can take appropriate action if it so deems fit. No, but as the author of those regulations has said, there is kind of an implicit understanding, at least in the regulations, that if you can't write this, if you can't turn the information over to Congress, what's the point of investigating the president? He can't be charged while he's in office. You could argue that it's for, as the reporter said, it's for later when he leaves office. But of course, if he's reelected, the statute of limitations runs. So there's a problem with, with that, so I, do, with, do with, you, with that do outcome you, as well. Do you think the mandate that he was given was clear to him and it's just confusing to us now? Or looking back, was there some confusion and communication along the way? I think there's a very, there is a hard question about what should happen at the end of a Department of Justice investigation if they, if the department finds the president committed a crime? What do they do with that in, information? Um, I, I think, by the way, there's a question about with respect to the Southern District of New York investigation, too, that has ended. What do the prosecutors right. there think the president did? Do they think the president committed a crime as they they kind of they said he directed one in a court filing? Right, right. Why, why haven't they turned that information over to Congress? There is this hard question. And the question one answer is you just shut up and do nothing. And you hope the president leaves office before the statute of limitations runs so you can charge him. That seems to me unsatisfactory. Well, let me let me uh, suggest another possibility here. And I wonder what your reaction is. Now, we know that, you know, Bob Mueller is this straight arrow, by the book, uh, dot the I's, cross the T's kind of prosecutor. But his investigation was also totally obstructed, you know, for two years by Trump and others in the, in the Trump well, administration. It, it and was, pro- and it wasn't. It, it was and it wasn't. There was a lot of noise. attempted obstruction. Okay. Uh, attempted attempted obstruction. obstruction. It was, let me put it this which, way. Which, according to the law, is obstruction. It, it, yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Yes. I know. I understand. But I'm just saying if you're trying to make a case, you would mm. like it to be actual obstruction, not just an attempt to obstruct, which was then thwarted by the insubordination of your subordinates who refused to do what you asked them to do. But go ahead. All right. Remember, we had this on one of our podcasts during yeah. the Iran-Contra investigations. The investigating committees didn't have to issue a single subpoena because everything was turned over. Now, that was a congressional investigation. So there's not exactly cooperation here. My question is, if you're a prosecutor and you feel that your investigation is being obstructed for two years, that you're not getting cooperation, that you know you're, they're resisting you know, in all sorts of ways, that the president is out there lying, calling it a witch hunt, you know, is it possible that that, that affected him, that, that there were some kind of bending of the rules here a little bit because he was so frustrated and just wasn't going to take it? Or is that like something that Bob Mueller would do? I doubt it was for that reason. I think the reason they wrote it that way is because they really thought the president committed a crime. It it wasn't just because he was, it wasn't, I don't think, because publicly beating up on him all the time. I think they were outraged by the fact that you had a sitting president committing the crime of obstructing justice, not just kind of attacking the investigation and not because he refused to do an interview, but because he 
ordered a witness to create a false document. He dangled pardons in front of people. And he did all these other things that if you're anyone else in the world, you go to jail for. And so they were trying in the strongest terms they felt comfortable with to communicate to the Congress and the American public that you have a criminal sitting in the Oval Office. So you and think you the do report something about it. Was, an impe- was implicitly an impeachment referral? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Were you satisfied with Mueller's response and logic behind not having the president testify in the sense that he said it would have been drawn out, it would have gone on for much longer, it had already damaged the country in a partisan angle, and that at the end of the day, he decided that not interviewing, first of all, he seemed to say they had the information yeah, they needed, I, and that not interviewing the president was possibly, in his opinion, the best way forward. I actually was satisfied because that the, the point you just mentioned, which is, he didn't frame it in these terms, but it, it's there in the report if you piece it all together. They had already established the thing you would want to establish in the interview, which is the president's intent. And they had already established with respect to several of the acts of obstruction that the president had corrupt intent. So to subpoena the president would drag the invest would drag the process out for nine or 12 months to get the president on the record about something they already knew the answer to. Okay, but then when he was asked about the how Trump answered the written questions that were that he submitted to Trump. Were they truthful? He said they were. You know, basically, he said they were generally untruthful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so said, were they untruthful? And he says generally. Right. Uh, so which is so a okay, that's a federal crime. Deal. So, so why true. didn't he? So this gets to the thing we started this conversation with: the fact that he didn't have command of some of the facts leaves you wondering how to deal with his answers to some questions. And that one in particular, I'm not sure that's what he and his investigative team found or believe. I know he said that in the hearing, but if they believed the president's answers were generally untruthful, you would think that the report would have said that. (laughs) (laughs) And it did. And and that would have been a clear instance of a federal crime, because if you're lying to uh, the special counsel. But let's go to the the one that probably got the most attention, which was his response to Ted Lieu during the Judiciary Committee hearing, which he then had to walk back. Let's listen to the the exchange. I'd like to ask you the reason, again, that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of OLC opinion stating that you cannot indict a sitting president, correct? Uh, That is correct. And then that was in the morning before judiciary. And then when he goes before House Intel in the afternoon, he says this. Now, before we go to questions, I want to add one correction to my testimony this morning. I want to go back to one thing that was said this morning by Mr. Liu who said, and I quote, you didn't charge the president because of the OLC opinion. That is not the correct way to say it. As we say in the report, and as I said at the opening, we did not reach a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. Actually, it was Lou who asked the question and Mueller himself who misspoke in his answer. So Mueller was being a little misleading there uh, in his retraction. But, man, that is so central to what everybody wants to know about his investigation. It was such a core issue. Well, especially because Bill Barr sort of muddied the water when he came out and said that he had specifically talked to Mueller about this and asked him point blank, is that true? And he said no. So they seem to have 
been on the same page. And so to hear him say that in response to Ted Lieu, I think, got everyone's ears perked, right? Because right. that would have been a significant development, significant news. And he didn't hem and haw his way around that. That was a clear, crisp answer he gave. No, but I, I think Matt made the, the most pertinent point here, which is how much was Mueller really aware of what he was saying or how he was resp- whether he heard the question correctly? Well, yeah, because it is this subtle difference. And it's a little bit there's a little bit of a kabuki dance they did in this report, which is they laid out several places where the president, all the evidence they marshaled shows the president committed a crime. And then they're saying, well, we're not saying the president committed a crime because we can't say that. But we're not not saying <laughs> the, the important thing about that Lou exchange right before Lou asked that question. He walked him through with respect to this one incident where the president, through Corey Lewandowski, tried to get the investigation curtailed and asked him all three elements. Was there an obstructive act? Yes. Was there a nexus to an official proceeding? Yes. Was there corrupt intent? Yes. And then so the answer that does one plus one plus one equal three? And then, well, I can't say that. So, well, and he, right. he did that, so he did that yeah. with Hakeem Jeffries, too. The, Hakeem Jeffries also laid out the one plus one plus one plus one is going to equal where I am, right? right. And, 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 and he said, and he, he said, back. and he would say, yes, 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 yes. But then he said, analysis. I'm not necessarily yeah. in agreement, right? With where, right. because he would know where they're leading, yeah. where they're because going the with the question. doesn't really say, but for the OLC opinion, uh, we would indict. It says there were difficult issues on the facts and the law and you know but this gets to look when we first saw the bar summary of the report and reaffirmed when we actually saw the report we and lots of other people described this as Mueller's punt he punted on what was his primary duty to reach a conclusion as to whether or not the president uh, committed a criminal act and it I, I'm sorry. I, I heard everything you had to say yesterday. I've heard every all the commentary, and I still don't have a good explanation for the way, why his, they ended up where they ended ex- up. His main explanation for this goes to, I think, the well-earned reputation for integrity and belief in, in the process, which is that if you accuse the president, the sitting president of a crime, but you can't indict the president, then they don't have then a what? forum where they can, you know, they can defend themselves. Then why go through the exercise of investigating no, the president okay, but, in the but first even place before you, get if you to can't that, do anything about it? But even before you get to that, the idea that the president of the United States can't defend himself or herself if it's a woman, I mean, they've got the biggest megaphone in the world. And if you're not going to actually try the case, but you're, you know, you're just going to say they committed a crime, they can defend themselves. So I think there's a flaw in that basic argument. And we know the president's very, very comfortable with defending himself. He, he does it <laughs> on a daily, if not hourly basis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But look, this gets in the end of the day to, you know, where we go from here. And, uh, you know, the Democrats, uh, clearly uh, the people who have been the progressive base that have been pushing for impeachment cannot drop it just because they got this lousy performance from uh, Robert Mueller. But on the other hand, you know, the Pelosi perspective is and shared by Schiff himself and to maybe a lesser degree, Nadler is an impeachment that doesn't have the support of the country and is seen as almost totally partisan or totally partisan is too much to put the country through. And it's hard to see how anybody is going to be persuaded by Robert Mueller's testimony. 
Yeah, I, I agree that Mueller's testimony isn't likely to change things. I, I don't know that an impeachment inquiry is too much to put the country through. The, the country's going through a lot as <laughs> it is right now. Look, I don't know the answer. I, I think everyone, every Democrat in Congress agrees that the report and other things that aren't in the report show Donald Trump ought to be removed from office. And the disagreement seems to be around, is an impeachment inquiry going to make that harder or easier. And there's a legitimate difference of opinion. There are Democrats who think that pushing forward with the impeachment inquiry, even knowing it will fail in the Senate, will bruise him and bloody him enough and distract him enough, you know, keep him you know, tweeting crazy things like he was all yesterday morning before the hearing, that it weakens him for re-election. And then there are others who disagree. I think Pelosi is one that disagrees, thinks that it, it, you know, it will end up being an exoneration. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that anyone anyone really does. It does seem to be a real battle now for Democrats, at least between principle and politics. If the Republicans had an audience of one yesterday before the president, I think Democrats in, in many respects had an audience of one before Pelosi and what her view would be following what she saw yesterday from Mueller, whether or not. And even when they had that presser, a lot of people were speculating Democratic leadership as to whether or not this would be it, where they would be on a united front saying it's time to start an impeachment inquiry. Clearly, Pelosi's not there yet. <clears throat> Nadler looked like he was a bit agitated. And from everything we have read thus far about what was happening behind the scenes, he seems to be pressing for one. She, for whatever reason, and politics is likely at play, sees where the caucus is, sees where the country is, sees in her view that impeachment is not popular right now and wants to continue down the judicial route and says that yeah. she has faith in the court system and that there are many other avenues that Democrats are currently going down and that there, in her opinion, at least, still is time for an impeachment inquiry. Well, there isn't, there but that's the problem. I mean, the calendar play is, you know, totally plays against the Democrats. OK, we're in practically in August. Congress is in recess. We'll be in recess. You're going to get very quickly to, to Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, pretty soon, Americans are, are voting. We're like seven, eight months away from, you know, the first uh, well, we uh, got another and, debate next and week. And we got debate, you know, mm-hmm. debates coming. And, you know, the, the idea of Americans voting at the same time as an impeachment inquiry is just very awkward. And I think it's just another reason why they will lose support for an impeachment process. I, I don't really see it happening absent some major major new revelation, which is always possible. Well, we've been if, saying if that I were for to, months, If I were right? to gauge, yeah. I think Pelosi wants to say that Congress is doing their job in oversight, so they're continuing going down that path. But in her opinion, the best way to get Donald Trump out of office is through election. Yeah. And I think that's what she is focusing on right now. And she, you know, the numbers may be shifting against her a little bit, but for the most part, the majority is still in line with her. Yeah, I, I will say, look, there are other reasons to do an impeachment, too. If you just set aside the politics, and say, look, he's obviously abused his office and deserves to go. And let's not worry about the Senate. And that's a, just a very practical or you know, very kind of policy and good government argument. I will say, though, when you hear people on the left, I consider myself on the left, talk about impeachment right now, it has almost become this magic bullet that they think is going to solve everything in the same way that Mueller was going to solve everything. And then his, rep- his report was going so to let down. He's right? going to make this problem go away. It didn't. His testimony is going to be the thing that makes him go away. It didn't. An impeachment vote in the House is not going to wake Donald up Trump the next day. Away. He's going to be president. So yeah. it, there may be good reasons to do it. It may it may be right to get on record for history. It may be that it weakens him for the election, but it's not the but silver look, bullet. And it's not I, the magic bullet. We talked about the bar being so low. I don't think Republicans had a great day yesterday either in the sense that they went after the origins of this investigation. Right. And we talk about Bob Mueller 
not giving an inch on a lot of the questions that the Democrats had wanted to get from him. He didn't either when it came to Republicans. And when they asked specific questions about certain players and Mifsud and what have you. Yeah, Joseph he, Mifsud. Yes. Right. Let's, you know. He, he wouldn't go there. Yeah. So whatever they thought they were going to get from him discrediting him on that front, they didn't gain. Yeah. yeah, actually, there was a point where I think it was Congressman McClintock. I can't remember exactly who it was, but basically made the point that Republicans have been making all along and the president has been making that it was the Steele dossier, which uh, led to the FISA warrants, which led to the FBI spying on the Trump campaign. And um, and Mueller rejected that assertion. By the way, he didn't the, address it. He didn't reject it. No, he no, just he, said, I, I'm not going to talk about that. That's outside my purview. I thought he went beyond that. I, well, I, I, thought I don't he, think he I thought said he, um, one way or the other anything about Well, he about did that. confirm that there is an ongoing counterintelligence investigation that I, I that was... I thought he said, I don't agree with your characterization, actually. We'll have to go back and check that. But I thought he rejected that. In any event, you know, there were moments when Mueller did push back, particularly later in the day when his uh, staff was being attacked as being biased and, and supporting Hillary Clinton where I think he said at one point, you know, in all, all my years uh, in the government, uh, when I've interviewed people who've worked for me, I've never asked them what their politics are, and their politics are not relevant. So he, he did push back at some points. I thought the most depressing was on Russia-related intervention and the fact that they not only attacked our election system and our democracy, but they continue to, are doing it now, and will in 2020. And when Congressman Hurd asked him whether it's ever okay, I believe this was heard about taking information from a foreign source. He said, obviously, no, but in his mind, he's a bit concerned that this may become the new normal. Yeah, right. Or just uh, the Russians messing with our politics. And maybe now you want to give a little plug for. Um, I don't know what you're talking about, yeah, Mike. The, uh, uh, conspiracy land. Oh, right. yes. yes. Right. I heard of it. The, yeah, the, right. Every Republican questioner yesterday was a plug for conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Conspiracy uh, land, which yeah. is this awesome uh, six part podcast series uh, hosted by Isakoff about yeah. the unsolved murder of Seth Rich and how it spawned these insane but, conspiracy theories that made their way to Fox News that were those fans and, were flamed by the White House by Steve Bannon and it was planted by the Russians and it, it was, was part of the Russian meddling in American democracy and it showed how easy it is to plant fake news onto the internet start with obscure websites watch them migrate into sort of mainstream media on Fox News so and what, um, this is um, and if people subscribe if people subscribe they can then listen to the bonus episodes with Biana dissecting them. So that's What's my last uh, name, a, Mike. Another, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I consider you like Beyonce. Exactly. You know, one, name, just one name. <laughs> right. Um, and, and there are four, yeah. four of them out. So pretty soon you'll be able to binge watch all, all yeah. six of them. Binge listen. Binge listen. Binge listen. We're a podcast. You know. Anyway, uh, but Biana, you were talking about how Republicans didn't have a great day. And probably the best example of that was the exchange with Ken Buck, a Republican member, had with Mueller. Let's listen to it for a moment. Could you charge the president with a crime after he left office? Yes. You believe that he committed, you could charge the president of the United States with obstruction of justice after he left office? Yes. Uh, ethically, under the ethical standards? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not certain because I haven't looked at the ethical standards, but the OLC opinion, opinion says that the prosecutor 
while he cannot bring a charge against a sitting president, nonetheless can continue the investigation to see if there are any other uh, persons who might be drawn into the conspiracy. Not exactly the answer that Buck was looking for. He didn't read the guidelines that suggest you never ask a question you don't know the answer to, right? And so you saw the president last night tweeting congratulatory tweets to certain Congress people who I assume he thought did a good job. You did not see Congressman Buck on that that tweet list. (laughs) But yes, he clearly thought that he was going to get a different answer from Bob Mueller. And we talked about his sort of wishy-washiness with some of his responses. This was a clear and definitive yes Yes, two times. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and it took Congressman so, Buck by surprise. So staying on the Republicans for a second, because I, 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 first of all, I want to correct myself. I said before that I thought it was Congressman McClintock who had uh, made the point that the Steele dossier was what led to or what justified um, the FBI spying on the Trump campaign. It turns out it was actually a congressman from Florida named Stube or Stubey. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name. But McClintock did say, we were just talking about conspiracy land before, he did say something kind of provocative, which was he basically made the point that the Russian um, government uh, was not behind the troll farms, the IRA troll farms. What do you think of that, Matt? I thought it was it was a sign of how conspiracies have so deeply penetrated the Republican Party, and not just the president. We say not just the president. <laughs> him, uh, yeah. yeah, right, him. Uh, but also all through the House. And that was the worst example, something that ought to be easy for them to agree. It's there in black and white in the Mueller report. It's there in black and white in, in federal indictments returned by a grand jury. But while that was the most obvious, it was throughout all of their questioning about Pete Strzok and Lisa Page and Devin Nunes, especially every time Devin Nunes got a chance to ask questions, he was asking questions about conspiracy theories. So it's a sign that that party has really drifted pretty firmly into la-la land with respect to a lot of these questions. So let's look forward and try to come up with some scenarios about where things go from here. Biana, what do you think? I mean, do we do we get to a formal impeachment inquiry? I would guess we don't anytime, barring some, you know, monstrosity of a bombshell. I, I don't see that happening. I think that yesterday was the Democrats' best hope in the foreseeable future. I don't think that's what they walked away with. I think that their expectations were very high. I think that Bob Mueller, he's a patriot. He did his job. He was honest. And I think there was a lot of damning information that he revealed. Unfortunately, in this era in 2019, where we're sort of accustomed to everything and the bar for shock is so high, I don't think we're there. I think I think maybe a more pertinent question is, I totally agree with Bianca. I think it's very unlikely at this point that they're going to get to impeachment proceedings. But the question for me is, can the Democrats even put on an effective hearing at this point? And I think that's going to depend on, in part, what we were talking about before. Um, Are they going to get some of these other witnesses who are not able to assert privileges or have privileges asserted for them, like a Corey Lewandowski or, you know, uh, Don Trump Jr.? Or how will they will they be able to prevail in some of this litigation involving, say, Don McGahn, who could be the John Dean of this investigation? Although I have to say, I think McGahn is going to be, he's not going to be a willing witness. Uh, he is a Republican. He works for a, a firm uh, that has a lot of Republican clients, and he's not going to want to be um, persona non grata in the Republican Party. So that may be another example of wishful thinking among the Democrats. 
I think we're about at the end of the road for the Russian investigation. There are no other witnesses that the Democrats have lined up or available for hearings in the near term. They're supposedly going to go to court to enforce the McGahn subpoena in the next few days that, you know, best case scenario is six months down the road, you get him as a witness. And that's probably best case. Um, and that's going to go, would go and, all the way and, to the Supreme and, Court. Yeah. Right? And, and so, I mean, and so I think what happens, this thing we talked about uh, a minute ago, two things are happening. Interest and momentum in what Mueller found is probably steadily diminishing. At the same time, the conversation about who the next president ought to be is steadily increasing with more debates happening over and over and getting closer to, closer to voting. And at some point, that process overtaking the diminishment of the Russian investigation means Russia just goes Could away. They- and I will say, I think the big takeaway for me from all this is Bob Mueller gave the country evidence that the person sitting in the White House committed crimes. He committed non-criminal abuses of power that were still like ordering the prosecution of a political opponent that still ought to be impeachable. And the country wasn't ready to hear it or deal with it. Could the end of the Russia investigation, as your political judgment, in some ways be a blessing in disguise for Democrats in the sense that, you know, everyone is so laser focused on those questions that it, it in some ways distracts us from all of the other things that may alienate large numbers of, yeah. of moderate voters, people who this president is going to need to get reelected? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think it's hard to know. Look, I think that there is an argument that... Every time the Russia investigation has been out of the headlines, something like family separation or the president's racist comments, it's not like the president's talking about the economy suddenly becomes the thing that, that, ma- that makes headlines because there are a million other scandals inside the administration and those may be more compelling. But on the other side, and, and this isn't the reason to do the Russia investigation, obviously, but a political effect of it is it's been a boot on the president's neck and it's been hard for him to talk to break through about anything else so it's a mixed which is part of the reason Democrats want to keep talking about it because I would would say there's an argument to be made at least in the short run that it is beneficial for Democrats to focus on other kitchen table issues obviously it got them the the midterms I would say in the longer run it's a huge black eye on this country it's a huge victory for Russia it's not a binary choice where you either focus on this president his relations with Russia nonstop or you don't talk about it at all. The fact that nothing is being done concretely about preventing Russia, first of all, punishing Russia significantly for what they did and making clear to any other country that attempts to do so will be punished likewise, but also preventing it from happening again. We know that there are dedicated people behind the scenes working on it. It is highly symbolic and important for a president of the United States, for the Homeland Security director every single day, if need be, to to be out there reassuring Americans that nothing like this will happen again. It's a huge victory for Vladimir Putin and, you know, an open door for other countries to do the same. One last question for you, Matt. You mentioned mentioned as one of the examples of Trump's abuse of power. It was directing that their, the Justice Department investigate his political opponents. So in the next Democratic debate or any of the Democratic debates coming up, when the question is posed, would you as president direct your Justice Department to investigate Donald Trump, private citizen for obstruction of justice and other crimes? What should the answer The answer should be, I will never direct my Justice Department to prosecute or investigate anyone, and I will never direct them to to drop the investigation or prosecution of anyone. I will have an independent attorney general who will make all of those decisions. You are a a veteran of the Justice Department. You are a high-ranking Justice Department official. I'm not sure who you're going to back among the Democratic candidates, (laughs) but if that person becomes president... 
and nominates you to be attorney general, <laughs> and you're confirmed by the Democratic Senate. And then everybody's Democratic pouring Senate. over his the, MSNBC appearances <laughs> yeah. looking for what the sound would, bites to would sink a, him. What would attorney right. general Matt Miller do? Look, I what would uh, attorney general Matt Miller do, or what would you say in answer to that question? If you were really you know before the Senate, you would say, I'm not going to speculate about what I'll do. I'll look at the evidence. I will say this is going to be a very tough thing for the next Democratic attorney general. The case is not exactly teed up because Barr closed the case. Barr said, Barr cleared the president. So it's not teed up, but you can, an attorney general can reopen things. The, Without if, new evidence? Sure. I mean, you yeah. could just say we're going to go Eric, back and look so a, a, a at great what's example, already been A great closed? example, in January of 2009, when I was working for Eric Holder, there was this very annoying reporter, uh, Mike Iskoff, <laughs> who was beating down our door literally the second day Holder was – actually, I think it was the first day Holder was in office. Got yeah. this, so are you going to investigate CIA officers for torture? And we did reopen that investigation that had been looked at already. And this is going to be that times 100. If there is a Democratic president, that is going to be a very hard question, I mean, because there's going to be a demand by a lot of people in the country to investigate and prosecute the president. That's a that's a hard thing to do. And there are good reasons why the country shouldn't do that. And as I recall, um, uh, the president of the United States at that point, uh, Barack Obama, did not want that investigation to be reopened. He did not. He allowed it to go forth he did because not, he didn't be, want to intervene. Because he, he had an independent attorney general yeah. who made his own calls. Well, there are people who have different views on that, <laughs> on the uh, independence of your former boss, Eric Holder. But um, Those people uh, are wrong. <laughs> in, the, in the short run, at least, and who knows what will happen after 2020, this president is a very sore winner because in many respects, yes. Bill Barr and even Bob Mueller, for very opposing reasons, are the best things that could have happened to him. If he had a Ken Starr prosecutor, I think we'd be talking about something else. And I also think that if Jeff Sessions were still yeah. his attorney general, yeah. we may not be here. Well, either. the sore winner part true. is is an important point that, because at moments like this, scary, that's as scary as the Russians. the The idea what, of what Donald Trump in his second term feeling completely uh, un, right. unrestrained. But, but, but it is moments um, like this when you got to think about the Greeks and you got to think about hubris. Um, and so it may be that uh, you know six weeks from now we'll be having a podcast and we'll be talking about. Uh, some other very serious uh, Trump controversy. So and let's we see. will have uh, Biana and Matt back to dissect it. Thanks, guys. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to former Justice Department official Matt Miller and CNN contributor Biana Golodriga for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. And now you can watch the podcast on yahoonews.com, YouTube, and Roku, Saturdays and Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Talk to you soon.